You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. 1 Timothy chapter 3, you find on page 1192 of the Pew Bible, page 1192. I'm going to read from verses 8 to uh, 13. Deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives, or uh, as the footnote says, could be translated deaconesses, are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. I went to, uh, it'd have to be a restaurant in America, where uh, we were greeted by people at the door, happy to serve, with a big badge, happy to serve. And my general experience has been that going to restaurants and things like that in the southern U.S., people do seem genuinely happy to serve. Contrast that with um, a hotel in Dundee, which shall remain nameless, where uh, somebody was a bit late. I was taking them. I took them to the hotel at 10 o'clock, and we went in. uh, We rang the doorbell, and the man came down, looked at the two of us, and said, I hope you're not expecting food then. And that was the welcome to Scotland to this particular guest. And I looked at him and said, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry. And he looked at me and went, I love it, I love it. He was an American. And it was just so unused to that kind of thing. (laughs) Service is this idea. We live in a culture where we expect people to serve us all the time. And the concept of freedom for many people means that we are free to be served. If you're very wealthy, you'll get servants. That's the idea. But in in Christianity, the concept of freedom is that we are then set free to serve. And as we ordain deacons and appoint diaconal assistants this morning, uh, it's important for us to look, what does that involve? Now, the way that we do the church here, it's not just we all turn up. There's a great deal of work goes in. And the way a church is organized... To me, it's fairly straightforward, the biblical principles. We have elders who look after the spiritual well-being, have the spiritual oversight of the congregation. And we have deacons, uh, and I will argue deaconesses as well, who are responsible uh, for the social and the material well-being of the congregation and its outreach in that sense. In the traditional Scottish Presbyterian Church, you were given, they were given what's called marks of the church. What made a, a proper biblical church? Because lots of people call themselves churches. What's a church? And the Scottish church developed this idea of four marks. One was you had to have biblical teaching. If you don't have biblical teaching, you don't have a church of Jesus Christ. 
You may go to a building, you may sing hymns, you may sing psalms, you may have prayers, but if the Word of God is not taught, it's not a church. The second was prayer. That you, it's an essential part of the church that there is prayer. The third is administration of the sacraments and discipline. That idea of baptism and the Lord's Supper and the church discipline that goes along with those. But the Scottish Presbyterian Church also developed this thing that was, they called distribution. It was the idea of helping the poor, it was the idea of education, it was the idea of being involved um, with one another and in the community around. And that was considered to be an essential mark of the church. And I think when you look at the New Testament, I think that it, to me, it is evident that that was the case. For example, in Galatians 2, Paul, when he's referring how he was converted and the other apostles were a bit scared of him and they met with him in Jerusalem and he said, I have to go to the Gentiles to proclaim the gospel. They said to him, yes, as long as you remember the poor. And he said, that was the one thing I was going to do. So remembering the poor is not a thing for like a bunch of trendy lefty liberal socialists in a congregation or whatever. It is an essential part of what it is to be a Christian church and to be a Christian. How is this to be done? Philip Yancey says this about the contemporary church. Maybe the underlying problem behind the scandals is that we have distorted the kingdom of God by training our spotlight not on the servants but on the stars. The idea of the superstar Christian, the superstar preacher, the superstar worship leader, it's biblically, it's laughable. You know, I once, I'm, I'm, I'm not even remotely a superstar in that sense, right? But I once went somewhere and someone said, please can I have your autograph? I just thought, what for? You know, I thought they were trying to fraud me or something. Sign this check or something. What do you want my, you know? And they just had this idea. The idea of the super star Christian is really, it's anathema in the New Testament church. But perhaps we've taken on the culture and we say, if only we get this person or if we get that person and this person's such a wonderful that we think somehow our church will grow and our church will develop. But I think Yancey is right. We, when we focus our spotlight on people perceived to be stars, we've got it all wrong. The New Testament church, 1 Peter 4 verse 10 says this, Each one should use whatever gift he has, served, he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. You and I, if we are Christians, should use God's grace to serve others, to help others, to faithfully administer God's grace in its various forms. And one of those gifts is what is called in the Bible the gift of helps, which carries this idea of slave-like service. 
The Greeks were freedom-loving. The Hebrews were freedom-loving. And to be told this in the New Testament was profoundly counter-cultural. Paul says to the Roman citizens, to the free men, he says to the Greek philosophers, he says to the Jewish rabbis, you are all to become servants. You are all to become slaves of one another. In Luke 10, verse 38 to 40, you have the famous story of Mary and Martha, where uh, Martha complains that she's working away, preparing food, doing all the hospitality, and asks, she frustratingly, uh, in frustration, asks Jesus, please get Mary to help. And I think in the Bible you will find that these two things actually go together. This spiritual depth and uh, seeking after God, reading his word, praying, but also practical help. You don't divorce the two. Master, says Martha, tell her to help me. Well, that's what we're, we're looking at this morning. I think um, in terms of helping people, I read a wee poem that, uh, it's a bit trite, but it summarizes it really well. Very often my own attitude. You asked my help, I turned away. I thought there'd be another day when not so busy I'd be free to do the things required of me. The days have passed, I know not where. With idle hands and time to spare, lost is the opportunity to do the things you ask of me. You may be here and you may not be a Christian. You say, well, tell me, why should I come to church? Tell me, why should I become a Christian? Why should I belong to Jesus? And if you're wanting an easy life, if you're wanting everyone to come and serve you, then don't become a Christian. Because a Christian is somebody who is there to serve and to help other people. And the deacons are to help in that and they are to exemplify that. So let's look at uh, the importance of deacons within the church. Now, there's some verses up there. Uh, Romans 12, 7. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. 1 Corinthians 12. And in the church God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. There is a spiritual gift which is one that enables you to help others. Now I have heard people pray Lord, give me the gift of singing. Give me the gift of preaching. Give me the gift of evangelizing. I've heard people pray, Lord, give me the gift of tongues. I've heard that many times. I don't think ever in my life I've ever heard anyone pray, Lord, give me the gift of helps. And I'm not sure I prayed it myself. Um, Why? It's not a very glamorous gift, is it? But I think that's kind of the point. Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. The deacons were a key part of the New Testament church. And for me, it's, it's fascinating how the Christian church has so often either ignored the deacons or misunderstood it. So you get some churches, for example, um, Often Baptist churches will have deacons who function as elders. And quite often you will get other churches that don't have deacons at all. But it, it, 
it, it's missing out something that's vital in the New Testament church. Some would argue against this, but if you turn to Acts 6 verses 1 to 7, you will see what I believe to be the, the institution of deacons, how it first came about. Acts 6 verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the, the Greek Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve, that's the twelve apostles, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The apostles didn't say, this is none of our business, this is social gospel, we have nothing to do with this. They didn't say this is an unimportant task, let's hand it over to people who are not as important as us. They said, it's not what we are called to do, but we have to do it as a church, so let's choose seven men who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. They are highly qualified. And let's deal with this practical problem, which was an argument about the distribution of food, which involved different races, the Greeks and the Hebrews, and it involved uh, contention and potentially really serious division. Calvin says that the conclusion is that by deacons we are to understand those mentioned by Luke in Acts chapter 6 verse 3, officers, that is, who are entrusted with the care of the poor. I recently read a book which um, was having a go at somebody because they uh, had spoke about Christian concern for the poor and they said, this is not conservative evangelicalism, this is not biblical Christianity. And I was so disheartened by it because they're wrong. This is of the essence of biblical Christianity. Bishop Cyprian in the... Uh, third century, talked about the givings of the church. One third should be for the poor, one third for the uh, payment of the clergy, and one third for the maintenance of the church property. The Christian church at its best has always had that uh, we have a, con a genuine and real concern for the poor. Now in our culture, there's a tendency for some of us to say, yes, but the state does that. Well, the state may do it, but largely, the state is doing it badly at the moment. The state does some wonderful things, and we're very thankful for that. But there are people who are slipping through the net, and it's going to happen more and more and more. And we as churches are, in, in effect, being called to take up again where we left off in the 19th century. And the deacons, the diaconal work, it is, I, I, I like... What Cyprian said, but if you sit on our deacon's court, the three guys are going to become deacons, the two new diaconal assistants. The work is to maintain the church building and the material things that we have, to provide financially for missionaries, for uh, someone like me, this is how I earn my living, and, and for others as well. And 
to care for the poor within the church and also those out with insofar as we have opportunity. Let us do good to all men, but especially to those who are of the family of believers. What are the qualifications that we're asked for deacons? If we go on back to the first Timothy. They are to be men worthy of respect. I'm just going to list these qualifications. Uh, Dignified. They are to be sincere, not double-tongued, not the kind of people who say one thing and think another. They are not to indulge in much wine. Doesn't mean that they're not, doesn't mean that they have to be teetotal, but they are not to indulge in much wine. They are not to be drunkards. Um, You'd think that's kind of like an obvious thing. I I just love the realism of the New Testament church. They recognize that things happen. They recognize that Christians are not perfect. And they're saying, look, if you're going to appoint a deacon, make sure it's not someone who's taken to drinking too much wine. They mustn't pursue dishonest gain. Peter says to the elders, 1 Peter 5, 2, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. It's a temptation. Money is an enormous temptation. And it's a temptation to steal. And it's there. I've been on church weekends away. When money has been taken by people who are at the weekend away. You think, how is that possible? They're Christians. I remember uh, being preaching in a church where I later discovered that the deacon in charge of the collection had over a period of three years filtered off about £30,000 for himself. Well, people shouldn't be deacons if they're greedy for dishonest gain. Verse 9, it's very interesting, they must hold the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. In the words of our Northern Irish friends, they must be sound. They must know the gospel. And they must know the deep truths of the faith. It's not that you say, oh let them be a deacon because they don't really understand theology. It's because theology, the understanding of God, the understanding of God's word and practical service go together. Why this necessity of doctrine in what is not a, a teaching office? I think it's, it, it, it is important because the church has to act together. The elders and the deacons act together. They must be tested, verse 10. They, they, they shouldn't be a novice. They should have some degree of experience in the faith. In Acts 6, verse 3, we're told, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. The responsibility then gets turned over for that. And then like the elders in verse 12, there's an additional qualification. They must manage their own household well. If they can't look after their own home, how can they look after the family of God? So the qualifications are strong. And let no one, there's there's a kind of thinking that's existed in the Presbyterian Church in Scotland that says that... um, you're kind of a deacon and that's like a junior elder and then you get an elder and that's up the ladder and then you get a minister and that's really the top Uh, that's not how it works there are two different offices there one is the elder and the other is the deacon and the deacon is to be as committed and as spiritual and as well taught as the elder 
and as, as of good character as the elder. Now the men we're ordaining as deacons, uh, none of them would claim to be perfect and we're not claiming they're perfect. But we, they have been selected, chosen by the congregation and approved by the Kirk Session, tested in that way. And I do ask you to pray for them and to uphold them. But you'll see also there uh, verse 11, which is uh, a verse that causes some controversy in the Christian church. Uh, because, does it mean wives or does it mean deaconesses? Patrick Fairburn, the old free church commentator from the 19th century, refers to Romans 60 verse one, 16 verse 1 um, of, to Phoebe, a deaconess of the church at Sencria, a servant of the church at Sencria, and equates it with this. And I think that the arguments, I'm not going to go into them all, but the arguments for seeing this as deaconesses as opposed to being the wives of deacons are very strong. For example, the, uh, there's nothing said about wives of elders. So why would you mention wives of deacons in this particular instance? There's no article in, in terms of the grammar of it. Um, the term women uh, is used here as well. So I don't think that this refers to the wives of the deacons or all the adult women of the church. I think it follows this pattern. The elder must be this, the deacon must be this, and the, the women who serve in the church must be this. That there was a, a recognized role in a particular service for women within the church. Now, um, I'm reluctant to mention this because you kind of get hammered on all sides if you mention this. There are people who get genuinely upset that we as a church do not ordain women as elders. And I've probably had this conversation with more people than almost any other subject. And because they get really, really upset. They'd say something like, you know, David, you're a nice guy and this is a nice church. And I'm going, that's irrelevant. I could be nasty. It's still, that's not the issue. And, and they'll say, but why don't you do this? Why don't you ordain women? And, and I'll go, well, look, emotionally, psychologically, um, you know, culturally, I'm a feminist, right? I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I see no reason. I'm not going to go and say, well, because women are, are weaker or because women are less intelligent or women are less capable. I can't say any of that. Well, why don't you do it? Because the Bible says. And I'm left and, and I'm stuck with the Bible. And I'm not complaining about that. I think there are very good reasons why the Bible has said that uh, the elders are men. And that's very, very clear. There are also deacons who are men. But to me it's just as clear, and it's not compromising and going away from what the Bible says, that men and women are equal in the church in terms of our standing before God and also in terms of the opportunity that we have for service. Same qualifications for the women. They are to be worthy of respect, the temperate, trustworthy in everything, and they've not to be malicious talkers. And if you go through the Bible, there are numerous women who are mentioned in that context of being honorable servants of Christ within his church. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Leah, there's two Deborahs, Jochebed, Naomi and Ruth, Hannah, Abigail, the Zarephath widow, Huldah, Queen Esther, Elizabeth, Mary the mother of Jesus, Anna, Mary and Martha, Mary Magdalena, Joanna, Dorcas, Lydia, Priscilla, Tryphena and Tryphosa, Phoebe, Lois and Eunice. And interestingly enough, 
I kind of only came across one bad woman, Jezebel. And yet, sometimes you hear Christian men talking more about Jezebels than, than anything else. Uh, you come across lots of bad guys. But I just, I, I don't know, maybe I've, um, some of you who've got better memories than me say, Oh no, but there's this woman as well and that woman as well. Now also what's interesting in terms of the Bible is all these women are mentioned by name in the context of a culture which was highly patriarchal. In which women were often not mentioned at all. And here it's regarded as normal. Read through Romans 16 and you will find Paul saying, Greet these women who helped served in the Lord. Greet this woman who helped me in this. And he's doing that in the context of a culture in which if we were meeting in a synagogue like, and it was a building like this, the women would all be upstairs and the men would be downstairs. We'd be meeting in the context of a culture where every free Greek male would have a vote in the, in the polis, in the democracy, but the women wouldn't. We're meeting in the context of a culture in which an Orthodox Jew would pray, Lord, I thank you that you have not made me a dog, a Gentile, or a woman. And Paul says... Greet these women, honour these women, respect these women. And so I personally, I, I, I find it really infuriating when people come along and go, oh well, in the Bible it was all sexist and it was all... No, it wasn't. It was remarkable in how it challenged the culture of its day. And we challenge the culture of our day as well, just as much by taking on what's called a complementarian theology rather than egalitarian. An egalitarian one says men and women are equal, we can all do exactly the same stuff, and we all should. And I'm afraid, sorry, if, if that's your theology, we don't, I wouldn't regard that as the theology of the Bible. We say men and women are equal, but we are also different. We have different roles. And that's something, ironically, equality and diversity, which we've, we should celebrate and we should rejoice in. So I'm delighted that in this church that we acknowledge the role of women in particular areas of service and leadership uh, on our deacon's court and in the service that is there in the church. And I would say this absolutely, not for a single minute could I look at any single person and say, because you're a woman you're inferior or because you're a man you're superior. That's not how it works. There is an equality of service. But that's exactly what it is. It's service. We serve uh, one another. Those who have served well, men and women, gain an excellent standing and great assurance of their faith. And I do ask you to pray for the deacons and the diaconal assistants as well as for the elders. Because there's some really tough stuff that people have got to discuss. And you'd be amazed uh, how easy it is to fall out. You know, it, it, sometimes, um, well, Stuart's going to give a wee report from uh, the deacon's court. And some of the stuff is relatively trivial. You know, like the screen, we can't see too well. I like the building to be full of light. And um, the deacon's court have told me, stop switching on the lights. That's why you can't see the screen. So, fair enough. I bow before their, their wisdom. Um, that's a relatively trivial thing. But there's massive stuff. Do we support CAP, Christians Against Poverty? Where, in terms of sending money to different missionaries, in terms of encouraging giving, in terms of what we do with this building, everything, you know, there's all these massive issues that need to be discussed. How do we s 
sort out our pastoral groups and how do we serve and which deacon will go where and which diaconal assistant will go where. These are all m- m- many different things that when it comes down to practicalities can cause tensions and troubles but also can be marvelous opportunities for service. And I think it is wonderful. You will see at the end just how many people God has called in this church to serve him in this way. There are many other ways to serve him, of course, and because they're an elder or a deacon or a diaconal assistant, it does not mean that they are in any sense considered superior. But it's just wonderful that God provides us with a collective leadership. Now I wonder to just finish off by branching out from this just a little bit and applying this to, to, all, of, to all of us, not just those who will uh, be ordained or appointed. And I want to do it in this way. I don't know if you're miserable just now. You might be. And some of us, some of, us, some of you are, are very happy and, and life is great and you're enjoying things. But some of us, we're struggling with different tensions within us. There's an unhappiness, there's a sorrow, there's a depth in terms of misery that can be explained in different ways. There are people we know and love who are ill. We're concerned about them. We're concerned about our work. We're concerned about our family. Our relationships are not going too well. That can happen in, in Christian homes as well. There can be a lot of different things that can, can cause us to be miserable. But there's one thing that is very common to a lot of us, and it's this. I read this from a man called Lawrence Crabb who was commenting on diaconal service in the church and I very much liked what he said. Men and women hunger and thirst for secure relationships and a sense of significance coming from making an impact on the world around us. Broken relationships shake our security. Futility and purposelessness create a sense of emptiness. A restored relationship with God brings security, while joining in the work of the kingdom satisfies our desire for significance. The reason we are unhappy is that too often we seek happiness by amassing possessions and using people. In the resultant emptiness we feel dissatisfied, but the way to be happy is to trust and obey. The reason we are unhappy is that too often we seek happiness by amassing possessions and using people. The deacons in the church are to model a way of living which says, I am not determined by what version of the iPhone I have. I'm not determined by what type of car I have. I'm not determined by my salary or my house. I'm not identified by that. I'm identified by the fact that I belong to Jesus Christ. And that he has called me to serve him. And my service may be the tiniest, most insignificant thing. It may be scrubbing the floor. It may be folding bulletins. It may be saying hello to somebody who's sitting beside me in the church. It may be washing the cups after the service with all these people who've come and had coffee and they've just left you with all the cups and the dishwasher's not working and you it may be teaching in the Sunday school it may be you know a myriad of different things but because I can serve for Jesus sake and be part of his whole body I'm fulfilled and I am happy 
To trust and obey Jesus is the way for any believer to be happy. And I, I would suggest to you, if you're not yet a believer, it's the only way that you can ultimately get fulfillment. You will not get ultimate fulfillment from your work. Just because you get that degree or you get that job or you get that salary, it will not make you fulfilled. But truly being part of Christ's body and serving him and helping him will make you fulfilled. It may seem almost a little bit selfish to do this. I don't think it is, but it could come across that way. But I find myself that um, if I get too absorbed in myself, trying to sort out my own problems, how everything I think, have it all sorted out, I'm a rational person. I like to reason things. I like to argue things. Sometimes you just get stuck. Sometimes you just don't get there. But just being able to serve other people, it, it releases a block very often. And it enables you to live a life that's full of purpose and meaning. It's not like C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis once said um, uh, you, she lived for others. You could tell the others by their haunted look. Uh, that it, it's not, oh no, so and so is coming to serve me again. This is a nightmare. It is, it is a genuine let me serve you. What can I do to serve you? I, I began by saying happy to serve. Uh, we don't do this, but the guys who are on the door they, they, you should have been able to tell by the big grin on your, your, their face as you walked in that they were happy to serve you. And the people who will serve you coffee at the end, they are happy to serve you. People who lead the praise are happy to serve. I'm happy. I really am. I'm happy to serve you in teaching God's word. It's a great privilege to be able to do that. May our new deacons and diaconal assistants, our old deacons and diaconal assistants, may that be the motto of us all, that we are happy to serve. I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with this one um, example. I think if we're happy to serve, we follow what Christ says, we love Jesus so much that we're happy to serve other people, that what happened to me this week is something that will be repeated over and over again. I visited a shop on the Perth Road and got talking to one of the ladies who was serving there and she went, oh, I know who you are. And I thought, okay, this is either good or bad. Um, yeah, keep going. She says, you're from that church of the road? And I said, yes. She said, I love that church. I said, you love that church. Have you been to that church? No, I've been to Weight Watchers in it, but uh, I love the church. Now, I better definitely not give you her, her name or shop. <laughs> I've been to Weight Watchers in it, and uh, you know, it's, she said, the church building is beautiful, etc., etc. But she said, I've just heard so many good things about it. And she started talking about just one or two different things. And I thought, do you know, I'm so glad that there was a, a good there's somebody who doesn't come to church had an awareness of a good reputation. And that's only because of people from the church who go and serve in different ways. I think it's a really, really important part of our, our witness as believers. That we genuinely are here to serve and we are happy to serve. May God bless his word to us. Now we're going to sing from that word and we're going to sing in uh, Psalm 68 verses 1 to 10. It's a song that talks about the, the gifts that Christ uh, brought down. It's talking about first of all that God would arise, he would scatter his enemies. 
And that uh, it talks about how God will be a father to the fatherless, uh, of widows' rights, the champion. And talks about how God went out and led his people through the desert. And he, he, the earth shook. God comes in power to defeat his enemies. God comes in power to help the poor, to help the captives. God comes in power to refresh his heritage and to make provision for his people. And this was a song that was used in the New Testament of Jesus, of Jesus pouring out his gifts upon the church. And one of the gifts that Jesus has poured out upon the church is the gift of helps and the gift of service. So we sing this from uh, Moses' day, but we uh, sing it of our own day as well. Let's stand and sing the tune St. Petersburg. May God arise and may his foes be scattered far and put to flight. Amen. Please be seated. Could I ask the elders to come up to the front, please? And also Jared, Ian, and Gordon, please. And if the elders could stand there and the three guys stand there. Let's go here. We're going to need a bigger platform. <laughs> Carry on like this. Um, I'd just to introduce to you, for those of you who don't know, this is Ian Clegg. Uh, just returned from honeymoon yesterday. Thank you for coming back. <laughs> Straight into a life of service. Wonderful. Uh, Jared Cordner, who um, many of you know Jerry's been around with us for a while as well, and uh, Gordon has been around with us for a while as well. So um, we are delighted to be welcoming you as deacons. I have to ask you some questions. Um, the fourth one is the longest one. Uh, it, it basically says, do you think that the church is spiritually independent of the government? Um, the answer to all these questions is yes, by the way. <laughs> so... Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the word of God and the only rule of faith and manners? Yes. Do you sincerely own and declare the confession of faith approved by former general assemblies of this church to be the confession of your faith? Do you own the doctrine therein contained to be the true doctrine which you will constantly adhere to? Yes. Do you own and acknowledge the Presbyterian Church government of this church by Kirk Sessions, Presbyteries, Provincial Synods and General Assemblies to be the only government of this church? And do you engage to submit thereto, concur therewith, and not to endeavour directly or indirectly the prejudice or subversion thereof? Okay, take a breath. Do you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ, as King and Head of the Church, has therein appointed a government in the hands of church officers, distinct from and not subordinate in its own province to civil government, and that the civil magistrate does not possess jurisdiction or authoritative control over the regulation of the affairs of Christ's Church? And do you approve of the general principles... That's the ones I've just said. Embodied in the claim, declaration and protest adopted by the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland in 1842 and in the protests of ministers and elders, uh, commissioners from presbyteries to the General Assembly read in presence of the Royal Commissioner on 18th May 1843 as declaring the views which are sanctioned by the Word of God and the standards of this Church with respect to the spirituality and freedom of the Church of Christ and her subjection to him as her only head and to his word as her only standard. Was it again, sorry? <laughs> 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 
I'm beginning to change my mind about you. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yes, yes. If you want to know what all that's about, by the way, you need to read about 1843, which is wonderful, um, but we won't go there just now. History lesson, do not. Do you promise to observe uniformity of worship and of the administration of all public ordinances within this church as the same are at present performed and allowed? Do you accept, this is actually the hardest question in some ways, do you accept the office of a deacon of this congregation and promise through grace, faithfully, diligently and cheerfully to discharge all the duties thereof? Okay, Um, I will ask you to, uh, Neil please actually, the guys could lay hands on you and I'll pray for you. You just want to kneel down there. And the elders will lay hands, we'll pray for them. Lord, we thank you so much for your gifts to us in so many ways. And we thank you for these three men. We thank you, O Lord, for uh, Ian and for Jared and for Gordon. We thank you that you have called them to you, first of all, that they are uh, your people. And we thank you that in calling them, you've also called them to service. We thank you for the fellowship that they've already given in this, and service that they've already given in this congregation. And we pray, our God, as we ordain them as deacons of your church, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, that they would be like those in Acts who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and that you would enable them to do what they have promised through grace, to serve faithfully and diligently and cheerfully, all to your glory. Amen. I'll ask uh, Will if you've got the formula for them to sign. If you could sign that. And then I'll ask uh, each of the elders to welcome you. I'll ask you to stay here whilst they do that. Can I ask uh, Adeline, please, and Lizzie to come up to the front? And also Nicola. Oh, you need to come come here. Adeline, anyway, up you come. And is Nicola there as well? Nicola, you come too, please. Now, I want to introduce you to Nicola. Nicola has just been uh, appointed clerk of the deacon's court. Uh, it's a huge responsibility. I've, I have no idea if you know what you've been ta- taking on, but um, it's a tremendous responsibility. And please do pray for Nicola because it's very important that all these, you know, we have a lot of decisions, things, things have to be communicated. And as the church is growing and developing, uh, Nicola is going to play an important role in that. Adeline. Uh, many of you will know Adeline. Adeline uh, comes from Malaysia. She is a doctor. And um, Adeline, uh, in being a diaconal assistant, one of the particular responsibilities Adeline's going to take on is uh, helping us as we seek to serve uh, international students as well. So we're delighted. Lizzie, have you come? <laughs> and Lizzie Humble, we know, many of you will know Lizzie. Uh, Lizzie is an artist, a jeweler, uh, has been around in the church. How long? Seven years. Lizzie has been here seven years, and uh, we're delighted that Lizzie is able to to help us in that way as well. Um, The difference between the deacons and the diaconal assistants, it's very simple. They do the same thing on the deacon's court. They do the same service. We we ordain the deacons. We we don't ordain the diaconal assistants. We appoint them. But as I say, we're uh, honoured and really privileged that you're all able uh, to be part of that. Now, the other thing I was asked to do is, could I ask the other deacons and diaconalists, because someone said, we don't know who these people are. So could you all come and stand up at the front? I'm not going to introduce you all, but so people can see who you are. So if you're a deacon or a diaconal assistant, please come up to the front and join uh, the new ones here as well. Thank you. Have we got any others left? Yes, Chris, that's you as well. 
And your good lady. Now you can see what a wonderful crew of people we have. I, I think that's what you call a collection of that. God has really blessed us with all these, these people and we're really encouraged. And the reason for it is none of, none of them here, this is not an honourable post in the sense of it's just a, a badge that they wear. They're all here to serve. Please do make use of them. Please do encourage them. Please do pray for them. When we go into our pastoral groups, each of them will have a role to pray in those groups and each of them has a role to pray in the church. I'm going to ask Brian Parr if he will pray for us all. Stay at the front. He can pray for all the leadership in the church and also uh, one or two particular pastoral needs that we have. So, Brian. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.